we're going to see if he's taking this Jesus thing seriously or not, you know, where he's just, uh, so back to school, so, you know, it's a, it's a crazy time, parents and getting everybody up and I'm glad you're here today. We've got a lot of teachers and we've got some administrators and, uh, thanks for coming. So we're talking about how to make good decisions. It's important to be able to make good decisions. I really don't need it, but thank you. Thank you. That was really good. Thank you. A little late, but thank you. I know. I'm sorry. You know. So we've talked about, about, you know, how to make good decisions. Uh, Today we're going to talk about the conscience question that uh, sometimes when you're in the middle of making a decision, you kind of get that uneasy feeling. And uh, so we're going to talk about that. The the first way we talked about... uh, the integrity question about if you're going to make a good decision, you need to be brutally honest with yourself. And a lot of times, the most difficult person we have trouble with is the salesman in the mirror. The salesman who sells us on, you know, bad choices or choices that have lasting consequences. So, so you have to be brutally honest with yourself. And that's, it's, it's very difficult to be brutally honest with yourself. Uh, so... We, we, we're going to use a couple of tools that will help us. One is the Word of God. The, the Word of God helps us to be honest with ourselves. The Spirit of God leads us into truth and convicts us. And then also wise counsel. If you'll listen, you know, a lot of times there'll be somebody on the sidelines that you don't want to listen to, but, they, but they've, they'll say, hey, you know, I don't think you should do that. And you're like, mind your own business. You know, I've already made up my mind. Uh, but a lot of times... You know, the Lord will bring people into our life, and they're not always godly people, but sometimes they're just people that, that know us and love us and care for us, and they'll say, have you, have you really thought this through? And so, you know, being honest with ourselves is one of the first things making good decisions. Second is, we, last week we talked about the legacy questions, like what's the story do you want to tell about your life? Because your, your life is a story. And that story is made up of decisions. I mean, how did, how did you get to where you are today? You got to where you are today by making some good decisions and some bad decisions. And they, they tell a story about who you are. So, so you write your, your life story one decision at a time. What story do you want to tell? You know, what, what, what story do you want to tell your kids? What story do you want your grandkids telling about you, you know? Uh, so we talked about that last week, and today we're going to talk about uh, the conscience question. Uh, is there a tension, is there, a, is there something that's making you uneasy that deserves your attention? The purpose of these questions is to get you to slow down enough so that you can consider all what's going on. You can listen to the Spirit of God. You can... You can make sure you're aligned with the Word of God to go slow down enough to make a good decision. Because a lot of times we move quickly ahead. So we're going to talk about the conscious question. Conscience question. Is there a tension that deserves my attention? So we're going to bring it with this. Why are people who have had too much to drink inclined to make bad decisions? And you may say it's because they've had too much to drink. Uh, Physiologically, there are two reasons why... Uh, alcohol increases norepinephrine uh, in the brain, and increased norepinephrine acts as a stimulant of the brain, and stimulants increase impulsiveness 
and decrease inhibition. We've all observed that, right? Hopefully from a distance. So the, <laughs> the greater the distance, the safer it is. The result is a decreased sensitivity to the potential consequences associated with the decision, hence the term, hold my beer. What, you know, what's this? Uh, so, so it's, it causes the release of norepinephrine, what did I say, norepinephrine. Uh, it stimulates the brain. And also, secondly, alcohol temporarily impairs the activity of the prefrontal cortex. The prefrontal cortex, cortex is the part of your brain that allows you to think rationally and make good decisions. It's the part of your brain that's not working fully until you're in your mid-twenties. Uh, with men, it's longer than it takes than women. It's true. It's true. Male brains take longer to mature, uh, and some would say they never actually do. Uh, so, so alcohol liberates a, a drinker to act without thinking clearly or feeling appropriately. It makes them brave when they should be cautious. It makes them loud when they should be quiet. In other words, they, they end up you know, picking fights with people they shouldn't pick a fight with, and they end up saying things that they shouldn't have said. Ron White illustrated it perfectly when he described what followed in his being arrested for public drunkenness. He said, I had the right to remain silent, but I did not have the ability to. <laughs> so there it is. Uh, so people who have had too much to drink are inclined to make bad decisions because they've been temporarily desensitized to social, cultural, and relational cues. They are chemically <laughs> impeded from rational thought. In other words, they have difficulty making rational decisions. But the problem is they don't know that. They, they knew it, but along the way they lost it. They lost their way and they lost where they were. So, but we sober people, so I'm going to take all of you out of the drunk group. Thank you. Uh, we sober people are often guilty of choosing to ignore the cues that are around us and the internal tension that we're feeling that gives us pause, that helps us step back. So sometimes when you're making decisions, sometimes something about it makes you uncomfortable. You can't, you can't put your finger on it. Something's not quite right. It bothers you. Experts refer to this as the red, red flag moment. It's an internal sense of, I'm not sure why, but something about this doesn't feel right. So what I'm telling you today is when that happens, don't ignore it. Don't brush it off. Pay attention to the tension. You know, sometimes you think nobody else seems bothered. Nobody seems to be wrestling with their conscience, especially the salesman. Like he's in a hurry, but nobody else seems bothered. Josh Nash warns, it's generally a mistake to take our cues from what does and does not bother everybody else when something is bothering us. 
Because of the pressure to fit in and to please, we can find ourselves making decisions that don't align with our highest good. When we make decisions from the fear of being judged or rejected, we doom ourselves to this people-pleasing brand of decision-making. Did you know that in, in emergency situations like plane crashes, uh, it's very difficult, they have found, for the stewardess or the, what's the right word? The flight attendant, sorry for my misogynist thought. Uh, the flight attendant uh, to, to get people to follow instructions, in other words, to get off the plane, to get out of the exits, because they're waiting to see, people are waiting to see what other, other people are doing. They don't want to be the first one to run to the exit when it's the very smartest thing to be the first one running for the exit. So, in other words, oftentimes we're so concerned about what people are going to think that we don't think. So if, it's, if something's bothering you, then let it bother you. So what if it ends up being nothing, if it's nothing? But what if it could help to slow you down so that you don't make a decision that you'll regret? Because a lot of decisions are way harder to undo than do. Like, you know, so many. So David, we're going to use David today, David today in this lesson. He's a good example of listening to his conscience in this instance. Because David doesn't listen to his conscience in every instance. I mean, if he had listened to his conscience with Bathsheba, he could have saved himself a lot of regrets, but he would have cost us a lot of sermons. Uh, <laughs> 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 1. Now, when Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, saying, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. David had been secretly anointed to be king by Samuel to replace Saul. And Saul had been told years before, I have found a man after my, uh, after my own heart that I'm going to replace you with. This is before David's even born. When he tells Saul, Saul, I'm going to replace you with a man after my own heart, David's not even born yet. And David comes onto the scene... Uh, he knows that God's called him. Uh, he knows that God's called him to be king. And here's where we have problem. We know what God's told us to do, but we don't know God's timeline. Have you ever had any problem with God's timeline? You ever get upset a little bit with God's timeline because you thought it was going to happen tomorrow at 2 o'clock and it still hasn't happened? So after David killed Goliath, we all know that David you know, killed the giant Goliath, Saul's fear of David and anger toward David just keep growing because he, he perceives quite intelligently that David is who God has chosen to take his place. And so in his, his, his self-deception, he thinks, if I kill David, I can stop God's plan. You know, so he's, so he's, try, he's trying out of his, you know, it's not rational. A lot of times our actions are not rational. And so about this time, David has been running from Saul for about 10 years. That's got to be miserable, right? Then 
Verse 2, then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the rocks of the wild goats. He came to the sheepfold on the way where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now, David and his men were sitting in the inner recesses of the cave. Now, this area in Engedi, uh, which means, Engedi means the spring of the goats. This is the rock, this was a, it's a very barren wilderness, but here in the middle of this, there is a spring. There's this, there's this source of water, which is so incredible. But this whole area is just littered with caves. It's, it's just, it's just all along the mountain ridges. There's just cave after cave after cave, all kinds of sizes, different, different caves. They're all over the place. Saul uh, ends up in exactly the same cave that David and his men are in. Isn't that a coincidence? Isn't isn't that uh, amazing? So out of all the caves, he ends up where David and his men are hiding back in the recesses of the cave. And Saul goes in to go to the bathroom. I mean, this is just, that's the story. Okay? Saul goes in to go to the bathroom. And so when Saul goes in, uh, everybody, his men say, the men of David said to him, behold, this is the day of which the Lord said to you, behold, I'm about to give your enemy into your hand and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. So it it would seem to make sense if you are David's men who've been running with David and this has been miserable, it would seem even reasonable to say, this is the day that God has put Saul in your hand. You can kill him and it'll be easy because God's promised you that. So where, so where did this come from? Well, you know, you know that David has sat around the campfire with these men, these men that are running from Saul and said, you know, it's not always going to be this way, guys. You know, we're going to get to go back home to our families. We're going to go, go back home with our kids and our wives, and we're not always going to be on the run. This is this is going to get better than this because, because God told me what's going to happen. God's, God's going to make me king, and it's, going to, it's all going to work out. We just don't know why. And you know, he's told, him this, he's told him this over and over again. And he's probably even told him the story of Goliath because Goliath is like the story that makes him famous. So, you know, when new guys come in, they say, hey, tell, hey, hey, tell Bob about Goliath and how you killed the giant. Tell, you know, tell the story about So they're, you know, this is for Netflix. They got to. They're watching the reruns of Goliath. So, you know, so David describes, here's, what, here's, what, here's the words that David uses to Goliath. When he's facing Goliath, he says, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. This day. So, so his guys have picked up his language from his interaction with Goliath and said, this is, this is God. Hey, this is God. This is your chance. This day, God, ha- look, he came into your cave. He, he's right here. I mean, he's literally, you caught him with, literally, with his pants down. You caught him. There's, and so David, it says in verse 4, that David rose and cut off the edge of Saul's robe secretly which means he didn't get caught. Now, see, I don't think that was the plan. I think the plan was to slit his throat and put an end to the running. But I think somewhere between the back of the cave and getting to Saul, 
that he felt something in his spirit. He felt God telling him, uh-uh, don't do this. And you're thinking, oh, and can you imagine the argument? He's having, you ever have an argument with God in your head? It's like God saying, don't do this. You're thinking, yeah, but I think you set it up for me to do this. And God's like, no, I set it up as a test for some other reason. I'm, I, want you to, I want you to trust me. You know, I don't know if you know this, but God's always asking you to trust him. When <laughs> the big test is, do you trust me? When, when Abraham takes Isaac up on the mountain, the test is, do you trust me? He's always, where have we put our faith? And so I don't think David's plan was to, to cut an edge off the robe. I think, the, I think the, the plan was to go slit Saul's throat. But somewhere between the back of the cave and where Saul was there, not standing, squatting, whatever. And so he cut his robe. And it came about afterward that David's conscience bothered him because he had cut off the edge of Saul's robe. So he said to his men, far be it from me because of the Lord that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him since he is the Lord's anointed. David persuaded his men with these words and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. So they're, they're like, oh, hey, they're saying, okay, if you can't do it, we can do it. Listen, we'll take care of it, David. You just sit back here in the cave with your little piece of robe, and we'll, we'll handle it. And uh, David persuaded his men with these words and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. And Saul arose, left the cave, and went on his own, own way. So David says, guys, this is not my call. This is above my pay grade. I didn't make him king. God made him king. And so God also made me king. So it's not my job to take him out from being king. That's God's job. And God will take care of it in his time. That, was, see, that pause allowed him to hear what God, God was saying. Hey, you're going to have to trust me with the timing. I, just a few verses later in 1 Samuel chapter 26, David gets another chance to kill Saul. And this time they've gone to the camp. They've gone to where Saul is encamped with his army. And he takes Abishai with him. So David and Abishai go into the camp where Saul is asleep. Then Abishai said to David, Today God has delivered your enemy into your hand. Now therefore please let me strike him with the spear to the ground with one stroke, and I will not strike him the second time. He said, listen, it'll, just, it'll be done. But David said to Abishai, do not destroy him, for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be without guilt? David also said, as the Lord lives, surely the Lord will strike him, or his day will come that he dies, or he will go down in battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against him, the Lord's anointed. But now please take the spear that is at his head and the jug of water and let us go. So he, he just allowed that tension to let him step back from the situation. But we would, you might have, the term my, my parents would have used is, that I would even use, is that I got to have a check in my spirit. He's like, 
It's like I, I, I can't define it. I don't know what it is. But it's like uh, I'm going to pull back. It doesn't mean that I'm not ever going forward. It doesn't, mean, it doesn't mean to know. It just means just wait a minute and make sure you understand. Be clear in it. Make sure you understand what God's saying to you because it's, it's, easier, to not, it's easier to wait than make a wrong decision. So, so then Saul gets out of the cave. Then David confronts him. And he confronts him in a loving way, not in a hateful way, which is amazing. You think about it. I mean, Saul's tried to kill him multiple, multiple times. David has escaped from, from Saul's spear, and he's tried to kill him. Now he's chasing him. He's trying to kill him. So now afterwards, David arose and went out of the cave and called it. So Saul has left the cave. And so now David, this is scary. I mean, what, they, came out looking for, they came out looking for David and his men. And so David says, here I am. So afterward, David arose, went out of the cave, and called after Saul, saying, My Lord, the king. And Saul looked behind him. David bowed with his face to the ground and prostrated himself. He treated him like the king. So David bows before Saul. And David says to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men, saying, Behold, David seeks to harm you? Behold, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord has given you today to my hand in the cave. And some said to kill you. But my eye had pity on you, and I said, I will not stretch my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Now, my father, see indeed. See the edge of your robe in my hand? For in that I cut off the edge of your robe and did not kill you. No one perceived that there is no evil or rebellion in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you are lying in wait for my life to take it. Here's what he says. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. Wow. Now, this is a better story to tell. I trusted God than I slit Saul's throat while he was going to potty. Hey, kids, tell us again, Grandpa, how you became king. Well, I was in the back of the cave, and Saul was going to potty in the front of the cave, and I snuck up behind him, and I slit his throat, and now I'm the king. This is a better story. The conscience decision. Hesitate, waiting. I'll pause even when I can't pinpoint the hesitation. Words. See, David didn't know the outcome. He didn't know how this was going to work out. He, what he did was he said, I'm going to trust God with it. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. So he said, I'm going, I'm going to do the right thing. In this situation, I'm going to do the right thing. Right now, I believe this is what God is telling me to do, and so I'm going to back off, and I'm going to trust him. So sometimes you don't know. You know, my dad, this is the trick my dad always played with me growing up, and if you don't know this, this is a great trick. I'd say, hey, Dad, can I go to Gary's? And Gary was my best friend growing up. We're still good friends. Uh, Growing up from the time we went to church together from the time we were kids. just I mean, we grew up totally our whole lives. Gary was, was my best friend. I'd go spend my, the night at Gary's house. But there wasn't a time that I, whenever I said, hey, Dad, can I go spend the night at Gary's house? You know what his response always was? I'll pray about it. I'll pray about it. 
Now, my dad did pray about everything. And he was a prayer. And so it wasn't a platitude. He would actually pray about it. But it was also a stall test tactic. Because one of the things you find out with children, it's hard to get all the facts. You know, it's hard to get all the info. They give you enough info so that you'll tell them yes. So, you know, but you, you want to know who else is going to be there. Are, are parents going to be in the house? What are you going to be doing? How are you going to get there? Who is going to drive? I mean, there's, there's a myriad of questions that in the moment, see, your kids are saying, make it, hey, dad, 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 hey, dad, dad, dad. Dad, 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 dad. Right? Or mom, 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 mom. So sometimes you just like you just need to step back and say, okay, yeah, probably, probably, it's possible. It could happen. I mean, you have spent the night at Gary's house for the last 50 night, 50 weekends. It's probably possible you can go spend the night at Gary's house again. But but hey, let me get a little more info. Because you know, hey, you were there. You were there, Logan. You were there, Zach. You know, you know, you're trying to trick your parents just a little bit. You don't want to give them all the facts. So, you want to take some time. So, what are you going to do when your conscience says, wait a minute, I'm going to listen, I'm just going to stop. I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna give it some time. Give it a moment. Give it a, just give it a day. You know, if you're if you're sitting, if you're every car salesman in this place is gonna hate this. If you're if you're ever going if you're ever buying anything and they tell you that the deal is only good right then, that's a good indication that you need to leave. Just say, oh, well. Because, I mean, this is, you know, it, it, I mean, it could be possible that it's the only one that will ever exist in the world and there'll never be a car exactly like that, but although they're rolling off the assembly line, you know, all the time, but, you know, but there won't be such a deal. And there's the, there's the reality of that possibility, but it's, it's, it's harder to undo a bad decision than it is to wait and not make a bad decision, right? So... Is there a tension that I need to pay attention to? And if I pay attention to the tension, a lot of times God's going to give you. See, David left that with some insight. The Lord told him something. The Lord dropped a little something in his heart. He said, I'm not going to touch the Lord. This, this was something that's going to carry him from there. And here's, here's the reality. It wasn't, it wasn't but just a, a little while till Saul gets killed in battle. They were... They were David didn't know he was right at the end, but he's right at the end of being made king of Judah. And he didn't know that. He didn't know. God knew. God God helped him not make a bad decision, helped him wait it out. Man. Waiting sometimes is the toughest thing you'll ever do. Waiting. 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 But it's often very important. Amen. Let's stand.
and I'm going to pray for you. So when you're making a decision, sometimes if you get that tension, check in your spirit, you feel uneasy, you feel uncomfortable, you don't know what it is. I was just talking to somebody this morning. They were talking about how they were offered a job. It was a better job than what they have now. It was better pay. You know, and that's usually the clincher right there. Oh, it's better pay than I'm in. So, but after they, after they went into the process, they said there was just, they just, just didn't feel right about it. I mean, you can spiritualize it. You can it, but you just, there's just, you just, there's something saying, wait. So what should you do? Wait. <laughs> wait a little bit. Some of you are making the decisions right now. So I'm going to ask the Lord to give you clarity about his will and his direction. Father, in Jesus' name, you said the steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. So as we take steps, sometimes... You kind of give us a warning. It's like, you know, watch where you're stepping. Watch what's going on. You, you direct our steps. Our times are in your hands. So, Father, as we're making decisions, Lord, we want to make decisions without regrets. We, don't, we want to make decisions that we won't look back on and say, oh, if I just waited a day, if I'd waited an hour, if I'd given it a week, I would had more clarity. Lord, help us. Help us, Lord, to pause, that we pay attention to the tension that you give us by the Spirit of God, the, the truth that you give us by the Word of God, so that we will walk in your will and walk in your way. In Jesus' name, amen.